Hello everybody and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, we're returning to Elm Street for another nightmare because we are watching Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Freddy's Revenge. <laughs> uh, and joining me, as always, we have someone who has seen the film before and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film and back for the second of three Elm Street visits, it's Andrew Dawson. Uh, I'm ready to see them all. I'm ready to see the ups and downs of Elm Street. Oh, you're, you're just going to keep going once we're done? You're going to watch Oh yeah, all once, the rest? once we finish three, I'm just going to watch the rest of them by myself. Wonderful. And doesn't matter how good or bad they are, we're going <laughs> to plough through and watch them all. Um, so it's, it's been about a week since we watched Elm Street 1. Um, what, 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 obviously, you don't know what's what's coming exactly, uh, but Shane gave us a couple of, of hints last time out, uh, saying that um, this film, a li- little less connected <laughs> from the others. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because I was still talking to some friends, uh, some other friends. Yes, I have. Oh. I have other friends. Oh, friend boy. <laughs> um, I was talking to them about uh, how I think the first one, the one that I've seen, still holds up quite well, especially in comparison to films that are made these days i think it's a really good film but after uh shane's comments on the second one mm. i'm intrigued to <laughs> to say the least about how um how well this one's going to hold up in terms of connecting story and as a film overall so you know i'm holding back reservations mm-hmm. but i'm in, especially going by your smile right now, <laughs> um, intrigued. Yes, well, that smile belongs to our guest who has seen the film this week. It's Murray Jackson, everybody. Hello, Stephen. Long time no see. Long time no see, indeed. It's been, well, a whole rider's strike since it we has, had you on. indeed, um, yes. Ha- Sorry ha- about that. Oh, well, look, you should have paid them more. Oh, I should have. Um, Murray, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Mm. In a vague, non-spoilery sort of way, what's it about? <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of reaction I was hoping for. Um, no, the snort is. I'm not. Is there a vague, non-spoilery way? I'm not sure. Okay. Um, let's just say this is. Um, there's a whole metaphor running through this one um, yeah. that I naively did not pick up on at the time. But forgive me, because I was. Yeah, a very immature 18, 19-year-old when I, I saw this film initially and I, I didn't pick up on the subtext, which is ridiculous because it's so bloody obvious. <laughs> um, this is a fascinating film, Stephen, uh, in terms of <laughs> what's crammed into it. Um, and it's spawned a whole blimmin' documentary just on the making thereof. Mm, of just um, this one specific film. Yeah, this one specific film, the the lead actor um, basically did like a, an entire feature on his memories of making it and what it means to him and radi radi radi. Um, so yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's it's probably the most out there um, uh, entry in the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, Although, you know, Wes Craven's new nightmare is so meta, um, that would be, uh, that'd be out there as well. Uh, mm. But this one, this one's in a league of its own. Okay. Um, so they play baseball. That's what, that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's, uh, 
Yeah, not your usual shower scene. Um, okay. That's that's the only uh, spoiler I'll drop there. See, that's okay. that. I was just about to ask because for the last one, I was told by a friend to uh, having seen it. I'm sure you'll understand to watch out for the the red the the waterfall scene or the red yeah. waterfall scene or yeah. something. The reverse said. waterfall. Reverse like, waterfall. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're nodding in. Is is that something you would say to look out for in this one? I think a there's a lot to look out for in this one. Yeah, they. I, I, I'm not sure how the heck they went from Nightmare One into this. <laughs> I, I I don't know what drugs they were taking, mm. um, what research they had done on a on a specific audience they were trying to hit. So none, by the sounds of it. Um, <laughs> it's yeah it's it's just out there on its own um and yeah it 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 certainly copped a hell of a hammering at the time i think it's looked on a little more fondly now but maybe in a way that a film like showgirls Mm. has been which is actually now that i think about it that's a really good analogy um how a film like showgirls has found a specific audience Mm. And, yeah, crazily enough, uh, I'd say Freddy 2 found the same audience. Okay, so there's a bit of a crossover with Showgirls. I can't Mm. wait. I am more and more intrigued the more these conversations go on. Well, let's uh, cut that intrigue off right there and uh, (laughs) let's, let's watch the film. So, for those of you listening at home, pop in those DVDs, load up those streaming services and prepare to help yourself. As we watch <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching A Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Colon, semi, semi's revenge, semicolon. I'm saying the film title wrong. We have just finished watching Nightmare on Elm Street two, semicolon, Freddy's revenge. Dun, dun, dun. And I'm joined once again by my special guests, Murray Jackson. Hello, Stephen. And Andrew and Dawson. Hello, uh, Dawson. That was your first time watching mm-hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street two. Is it Freddy's your last revenge. time, Dawson? Yeah. Is it your last time? Yes. <laughs> oh, you reckon? I think so. Okay. We I can, think we're compiling this one to the uh, the dustbin of history. Yeah, I think the only time I would watch this one again is if friends wanted to do like a marathon like we're doing now, like a marathon trilogy. Yeah. Thing. Otherwise, I don't think this would be in a set of films that I would be like, you know what? Tonight's a Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two. I think Freddy's you Revenge. should you should watch this again back to back with Showgirls. I, I think that's going to be a great double feature. Apparently, that's the way to go. Uh, so, did you did you enjoy it, Dawson? As I said when the movie finished numerous times, I have thoughts. Okay, okay, your thoughts. <laughs> Good thing we're doing a podcast where I can. That share doesn't my sound thoughts. encouraging, Dawson. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, because because this was my first time watching it, I thought it was all right. Like, like it's 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 not quite as polished as the first one. I think that that's pretty pretty obvious mm-hmm. for for most people. I'd, I'd say I'd say it's polished, but uh, mm. I would use that term in another sentence. It's it's certainly polished something. Uh, well, yes, yes. Um but 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 I I watched that and I went, yeah, this is fine. It's it's not as um I I think it's maybe the the idea of what Freddy was in the first film and this idea of this character being able to come out of bodies in the waking world is 
for me, I'm like, oh, that's interesting, but feels like it's not in the spirit of what the villain was in the first film. For me, that's that's where my big disconnect is. It's almost like the scriptwriter had a had a had a coming out metaphor in there, Stephen. Well, well, there is that, yes, and I understand why that choice was made for that. But but just in terms of, I, I knew coming into this one, people are like, oh yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street, one's great, three's fun, two. People are always like, yeah, two, your mileage may vary, and I can I can see why because it is quite different. It, um, it just seemed it seemed to not. Not lack direction. Mm. I mean, it had its moments of that as well, mm. but it just had too many directions, or <laughs> had no idea where it was going. Yeah, it's mm. like they they thought this like, is a like good the bus idea. at the end had no idea where it was going. Yeah, mm. like it, it definitely had direction, but plural, and I, I was finding it hard to pick up what it was putting down in in some mm. ways. Because, um, like you were saying, like the the whole coming out of the body and then at the end he was inside Freddy mm. but then how like are they just constantly permanently inside each other like how does that work mm. well once Freddy again out- I think there's a metaphor there <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean crikey we even had a how many times did we have a closet appear in this film mm. um, and then he went into the closet mm. and then there was a big box that said probe on the shelf uh, yes and that was a very uh on the nose <laughs> placement of that, it it was just a little bit. Um, I mean, the 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 story of the film is pretty 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 basic, but I think executed rather well. You know, it's it's five years on from the events of the first film, and the none of the returning cast are here. But I'll tell you what is here: the house, the setting, uh, because the the house that um, Nancy was living in in the first film has been bought by a new family, the Walshes. And young Jesse Walsh uh, is starting to have bad dreams. And it's quite interesting seeing a new character in this situation. I don't know how you felt, Dawson, having just watched the first one recently. Part of my interest initially, at least, was going, oh, how's he going to figure out everything that Nancy figured out in the first film? I, 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 was, I thought it was really interesting having a different character, um, especially because it was more him doing the the bad stuff. Mm. I thought it was a nice little twist on it instead of just the same thing but a different character. Um but I I, I don't know, I wanted them to figure out a bit more and do something kind of clever at the end instead of it just being a kiss and then fire and then that was it. Yeah. I, I wanted like them to you know, like there was the um well, I had no idea how to wrap it up. Yeah, they they had like the Home Alone stuff in the first one. Like it was the it was her being like, you know what, I'm gonna do something about it. But this one just kind of seemed like, oh, I love you. Here's a fire, and now you're coming out of the flame, like out of the burnt yep. ashes. And I'm like, that's it's just kind of a bit of a disappointment. He's been reborn. Mm. Yeah, yeah, um, <clears throat> and yeah, basically it's classic Freddy murdering people in bedrooms. Uh, he attacks a pool party this time, which, which everyone is very chill about yeah. afterwards. Yeah, exactly. It's like there's no mention of the fact that the dead guy's had his face slashed. Mm. Although that said, the only real time they have conversation about it is in the bus, which I'm guessing is another dream because it's Freddy repeating the start of the film. So. Or is it Stephen? I mean, this is where it gets bloody confusing. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is a little problematic. In that I sense. feel like they took all the established lore of the first film and went nah don't need that <laughs> threw it out the bus window yeah mm. well and i think it's again 
partly because of this this subtext, which is a really important thing to talk about with this film, because it is one of the first sort of pictures of its of its type from this time, which has um, a very clear queer subtext running through the whole thing. Um, and as you were saying, Murray, it's kind of viewed a little bit like Showgirls in that sense of like certain people have latched onto it for um, for for reasons of the way it was written. You know, um, it it is written as a a metaphor for coming out, quite a literal metaphor, as has been <laughs> said. Um, but also, you know, things like the the casting of um, Jesse uh, Mark Patton was an openly gay actor. There's a lot, and a lot of that imagery, like the. I mean, it, 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 this one probably is the most on the nose, but his sequences with Schneider the coach um, <laughs> from from being this like oh uh, yes, that shower scene yes yes, yes the uh, but, but you know he's a, he's a male authority figure who's quite domineering but domineering in a way that's different from how his dad's domineering. His dad's the sort of like I'm a square dad and you ain't going out till you've tidied your room. He's the dad from a Beastie Boys song. Yeah, basically, but they're, they're, they're very yeah. one dimensional sort of characters. Aren't they are, they? and but, and the, the ham fisted thing of. Of having Jesse discover the mm. the coach at at a at a, at a, at a gay, gay nightclub, yeah, uh, just yeah, like ah, uh, why why mm. you didn't even need to do that? You you you're, you're pouring it on so heavily, mm. and you're trying to pour all this into an hour and a half sequel to a yeah. classic horror film. It, it, and, I yeah. don't think it. This is not gelling. This I don't th- is not gelling. No, I don't think it's gelling. I I think it's really interesting that they tried it though. I think it's so interesting to have this essentially like combination of a story about um, someone coming out in a non heteronormative way or having a non heteronormative um, awakening, as it were, but tied in with a horror film. I'll be honest; it feels like something that would be much more likely to be made in the last five years, not something that would be made in the middle of the 1980s. I think it's too ham-fisted to have mm. been made in the last five years. I think there would have been far more subtlety or mm. it just would have been far more overt. I think what the screenwriter tried to do here was think that he had this clever mm. idea to introduce a subtext into this film but wasn't clever enough to work out how to do it so that it actually worked. Mm. And, and it wasn't clever to make it an actual subtext. It yeah. was more just yeah. here, here it is. It was. It was. I. I actually feel the entire film. And as I say, I'll be honest. I didn't pick this up as a you know guy in his late teens when I initially saw this film. But as someone now, it's so screamingly obvious <laughs> that. You know, you're trying to, to, to put across this homoerotic subtext. Mm. It, it's come across as ham-fisted. Yeah, and I, 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 certainly I think we can all agree, sitting here watching it, it's, it's not worked the way maybe they hoped. Uh, but, mm. but I think it's quite intriguing. Now, friend of the show, Tegan Mulvaney, who desperately wanted to return and, and talk about this film, but was uh, unavailable. Sorry, today. Tegan. Sorry, Tegan. Uh, but she has sent me uh, a list of things that we do need to talk about okay. Uh, okay. because um, she she cares a lot about this film and what it represents. Um, so not only was the lead actor um, homosexual and closeted um, at, at the time, but so was the writer and the director. So there was a lot of... Um, homosexual experience uh, or like people with homosexual life experience or going through even the closeted version of that 
in the production of this film. Um, so sorry, the, the writers hadn't come out yet either. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's a little bit confusing because in some interviews, particularly interviews further back, more towards when it was released, um, people like the writer and the director have claimed that they... Mm, he completely denied it. Yeah, they, they claimed they had no idea that there was queer subtext. But then in more recent interviews, like with, with Mark Patton, um, he has discussed... Um, saying that they added elements during filming that were to accentuate the subtext. But um, even Patton himself says that cast a crew had to come up to him mm. and explain to him. Yeah, you do realise what the, this film is that you're in, don't yeah. you? And I feel, I feel like which it's... I find quite interesting. You would have thought mm. he, being intimate with the script on a daily basis, would have understood, and but, particularly with the... But, but you also said, Murray, as an 18-year-old yeah. oh, going to watch true. this, yeah. you you didn't click onto that subtext, where, like, the thing yeah, is... Yeah, but, but I'm, 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 I'm yeah. not homosexual, well, so true. I maybe, you know, maybe I haven't got that, that radar for yeah. that sort of thing. True, and, um, and admittedly, you know, we're watching this film, uh, and particularly for me, watching it for the first time, I'm coming into it knowing... This is a film that has a lot of queer subtext. So you're looking out for it. So I'm yeah, looking out yeah. for it. So things like when Freddie first meets Je- Jesse in the dream, and instead of murdering him, is like you're going to be the body and I'm going to be the brain. But like he's almost like stroking him with the with yeah. his fingers, and I'm looking at that as like, oh, that's an interesting thing. Almost because, like a loving, tender kind of like yeah, stroke down, like, like trying to trick him into thinking that he isn't a horrible murdering dream goblin <laughs> so but but it's it, it's really interesting looking at it and looking at some elements and going that's really interesting but i think as a whole mm. it, it doesn't it doesn't quite gel it, sorry it, we're, we're billy yeah. connolly here let's get back to what yes yes Tegan was saying. We'll, yeah we'll, we'll get we'll, we'll work our way back well <laughs> um but I, I think there's some interesting things that they do i i quite liked having jesse as a final boy instead of a final girl. So so often in horror films, it is the final girl who's being chased by the, the monster and things like that. And having Jesse, at least for part of the film, be in that sort of uh, last person standing kind of role. And then they kind of renege on that and Lisa does become the final girl. So they kind of want their cake and eat it as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I did like the fact that in the... Like it's it's a bit different, but he seemed like the damsel in distress kind of character mm. um, for a, a bit of the film, which I quite enjoyed. Um, similar to the first one, like again, the 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 girl lead being like, you know, like I said before, like I'm going to do something about this. We're going to fix this problem. Mm. And honestly, a lot of the men just being just idiots. Just Johnny Depp <laughs> kept falling asleep. <laughs> Um, and like this, this film took a, a little bit of a twist on it as well. Like with, with, yeah, Jesse being the whole, like, I don't know what's happening to me. Like, am I crazy? Like what's going on? Something's happening. And her trying to, uh, like tell him that he's like, you know, you're strong enough. You can beat this. Like it's him that's got that, uh, like in distress kind of, um, character. Mm. And I think it's a really nice kind of little, little, little twist on a lot of gender, constructs in in movies and tv mm. or stories in general yeah so he's the damsel in distress and she's the big rugged guy coming along to save the day that, exactly that sort of twist yeah mm. uh, just following up i just wanted to try and clear up some stuff on the timeline um Patton at this time who played jesse was not out at the time uh and didn't want to uh didn't want to be in a film that was blatantly queer 
uh, to, because otherwise he might get outed. Yeah, he, uh, he'd done one though, hadn't he? The year before, I I'm not sure. I'm not. I I'm think not he had. Yeah, he'd, he'd he'd done a film that had um, some sort of homoerotic subtext. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to recall what it was. Mm. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah, and it's also interesting to think about that as well in the terms of it's 1985, and this is in the middle of the AIDS epidemic. Um, Which as is well. why I think this was written. Mm. I think this was an attempt to, um, I don't know, just basically say we're here, we're queer, and we're proud of it. Mm. Um, because yeah, there was there was so much gay bashing going on at the time. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it is an interesting one from the perspective of there's a lot going on with the script, and unfortunately Unfortunately, it just it just it feels like this this it, it's an engine that's almost turning over. It's <laughs> almost turning over into being like a really good running vehicle, and it just doesn't quite get there. Despite the fact it's got some pretty cool elements, I really liked um, the exploding budgies. No, th- yeah, no, I did like the exploding budgies. That was amazing. Uh, but uh, but the um, the special effects of like Jesse transforming into. Freddy, and then Freddy mm. climbing out of his chest, and and you know looking through the back of his mouth, and you see the eye. I thought all uh, of that's that. That's the bit I was going to bring up. Yeah, that eye mm. in the back of the throat was such a cool, like just quick snapshot. But that one really stuck with me. Yeah, there was some just really fun special effects, really effective visual imagery, and you know when Freddy be slashing people and scaring them, it's it's fun. It's it, it just felt like the film didn't do enough of that <laughs> to an extent, you know. It's but it feels like a gestalt. It feels mm. like there were a lot of ideas that were bandied around, mm. and someone came along and said, "Ha no, no, I'm going to put my own spin on this," mm. and tried to weave that idea into the film, mm. and in doing so, completely unwound the film. I think the fact that this one is not directed by Wes Craven is pretty significant as well is um, the next one he 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 is he come he, well so basically Wes Craven was not super keen on this script um was not super keen on this but his feelings on this film essentially were a motivating factor for him to go right if we're going to do a sequel I'm going to come back and we're going to do it right and that's what Dream Warriors becomes and I think maybe that's why a lot of the perspective certainly from people we've spoken to in preparing for this have said oh yeah one and three you're going to have a good time Two less so, and I think it's because two is just such a disconnect from what one set up and what three is apparently going to bring. I think the other thing that um, we have to bring up in terms of how this um, came about, Nightmare One was such a huge success Mm. that there was huge pressure on New Line to get a sequel out ASAP. And I, you know, there, there wasn't the time there to take um, in terms of developing some good ideas, perhaps a little bit of a, um, you know, these rules can't be overrun in terms of the franchise. Mm. And I think what you see with three is basically a negation of two completely mm. and, and going back to the, the core principles of, of the first film. Um, so that, I think from that perspective, this one stands alone. Um and I, I know it's, I, I, I sound like I hate the film. I don't <laughs> hate it. Mm. It's just one of those films that, for me, annoys me because if it doesn't make l- logical sense to me, mm. 
it, it, it affects the enjoyment. Yeah, and, and there are big plot holes in this film. And it's got nothing to do with yeah. the, the, the homoerotic subtext, mm. although I think, yeah, as I say, it was ham-fisted in the way it was done. Mm. Yeah, the, 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 the very ending of this film, you know, what the hell is that all about? Well, what, what do we think it's about? So, so Lisa goes to confront Freddy slash uh, Jesse uh, in the, the factory where Freddy used to work and where he killed the children when he was Fred Krueger. And Jesse has confessed his love for her through Freddy's mouth previously. And so she's coming along to basically go, you need to not show fear. It's established that Nancy rejected Freddy uh, through through being brave, through not being scared of him. And so she is going there to stand up to Freddy to try and free Jesse. And so she says, I love him. She makes out with him, which is a very you know, striking bit of imagery. <laughs> uh, and then some fire happens and Freddy burns away and out of that sort of ashy cocoon steps Jesse. Mm. And that works somewhat. I've got a few questions, but that works. And then it's just cut to the mm. bus and everyone's like, man, that party was crazy. Oh, wait. Like, this... Yeah, it was, yeah. guys. It was very crazy. <laughs> yeah, and Jesse is understandably a bit traumatised. Then he's like, wait, this bus is going too fast. And then it pulls up. And it's like, oh, it's okay. And then, boom, hand out the chest, drive off into the desert, the film's over. Yeah, and <laughs> once again, that that's lazy. Yeah. And it, it comes down to either it was tacked on at the end after the initial... Um, showing to studio executives or whatever, and they said, nah, doesn't work, we need one last shock. Mm. And I, I suspect that something like that has, yeah. has happened, and, and it makes no sense. Because the first film also has that scene, essentially, though, with yeah. um, with Nancy getting in the car, with everyone being alive, and then other cars coloured like Freddy's jumper, and off it drives, she's screaming, and the mum gets pulled through the window. And it... I you can like, have one non-linear yeah. scare. You can have one non-linear scare in the series, and I'll accept yeah. that. But if you're gonna keep doing it, it's lazy. I mean, maybe that was the idea. Then they just wanted to have the first film finished like that. So we're just hmm. because this film was so different from the first one. Hmm. If we end it the same way, then we're like, oh yay! It all it's all the same, you but, know, same but, series. Yeah. But I wasn't a big fan of that ending in the first. No, one. neither was I. And, and so like, it's it's just like. Why can't these films have a happy ending? What What is it about? Like, is it just because, oh, it's a slasher horror. They can't possibly end happy. It's like, you know what? No, that, that I really, I, I'm like, I really enjoyed seeing the relationship between Lisa and Jesse grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure about it as a romantic relationship because obviously of the, 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 the queer subtext and, and all of that. But, but I really liked their connection. They clearly are two people that are very fond of each other. Um, and that they are, you know, best mates, and they're willing to like. Oh, she's in love with yeah, him. Yeah, and she, she, she's yeah. professing love for him. Yeah, she's in love with him, and we, with him, I'm like, I don't know if I believe it because of all the subtext. But uh, well, it's more. I suppose it's more just I'm thinking from a physical love perspective. Like, mm. absolutely, they can be like people that want to spend time together and, and do all of that. It's just because it's set up in a more traditional film heteronormative trope. It just a little bit of it rang a bit hollow for me. And I think it's also, again, because it's a little bit confusing and we don't get time to sit on, oh, they've reconnected and how amazing that they were able to reject Freddy because it's undercut by a bus scene mm. 30 seconds later. Yeah. And so it's, it, that that's a bit disappointing for me. Yeah, exactly. And, and it makes you think, well, you know, 
what's yeah where are these characters gone now mm. uh, are we back in dreamland or where the hell are we and she just had uh freddie's hand come through her yeah. chest just before that as well like yeah. is she now dead yeah or is yeah. it a like uh, yeah it's so, it so what happened with freddie i mean you know he was burnt to, to crisp there a moment ago and now mm. he's back and is he back in someone else or is it a dream yeah, yeah. yeah. not a fan of the ending no, no. Um, I, I should say as well though um, I should have I should have started this when I had uh, started with this when I had, said I had a lot of thoughts. Mm. Like you didn't hate the film. Mm. Still, you know, there's elements of it that I do like, but it's just bits like that that kind of it, it goes like up and then things like that happen. And it drags it back down. I'm like, ah, oh, you could have. There's yeah. like something there, but it just didn't quite push through. I'm, I'm with you, and yeah. it's a shame because it undercuts amazing scenes like the bird scene, which is oh. let's what, talk about or, the budgies. Or, or, <laughs> Or the coach spanking scene, which I don't know what it says about me, but I love that scene. I I thought <laughs> I, I, that was the bit I laughed the most at in this film because <laughs> I was just like, Freddie Freddie has got such a great sense of humour, and we don't see a lot of that in this film. That, that that's the, maybe one of the disappointments is Freddie's screen time is quite reduced. It's only I think thirteen minutes of the eighty-seven minute runtime. He's he's on screen, and I, and I, that, that, I think that's where the film suffers. Yeah. I, I, I would agree. And also, a lot of the time that he's there, he's a bit more serious. He's not as jokey as he was in the first film. Mm. Um, no lengthy arms wobbling around everything. No, yeah, or yeah, cutting it's... off his fingers. Or... Y- y- yeah. y- y- well, he did tear off his, oh, his yeah. face, which yeah. was quite nice. The top of his head, mm. saying, like, I've got the brain. And yeah. Throbbing but brain it, up But there. it was that, and it was the other thing that I was just talking about that's just escaped my mind. Um, oh, the, the spanking the coach. Yes. Mm. And that's it. They're, they're the only sort of moments of fun murder we get from our murderous <laughs> ghost um but yeah that that sequence was was quite affecting um with with you know the, the coach being killed in that way where it was a bit of fun and then it got very grim and very serious the budgies just seem to happen and we, we know that it's because freddy's about but at no point do we see freddy like ugh, like standing in the background or doing anything it just felt like his ability to mess with the real world outside the dreamscape was almost well messing it, things up a bit too. Sadly, much. household pets don't 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 go well in this film. Yeah. It's not just the budgies. Remember the the the, the fish. The, the fish. Yeah, yeah. They get broiled. I I do. There is one of the things that I wish uh, I, I liked about this film, but I wish they had have played more with it or made it more clear. Which is ironic because I really liked the unclearness of when it was in a dream and when mm. it was in reality. Mm. I I wish that was something they had have played with a bit more and made it more of a a thing rather than honestly what seemed like the writers or directors being like, yeah, let's just make budgies thing. Is it dream? Is it real? I don't know. We'll just make them fly around and explode. Yeah. Like I wish it was more because like that uh, the snake scene. Mm. You 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 swear that he's asleep. There's a snake crawling around his neck, and then the teacher comes up and picks up the snake, and you're like, oh. See, that was that was oh. cool. Yeah, that was cool, and that to some degree makes some kind of narrative sense for for this style of film. Mm. The the exploding budgies. That's <laughs> just that's just gratuitous. We're just throwing that in there. Yeah, it's it's. Then there's no explanation as to why yeah. or how or. Yeah, but and also the, the his snake stuff is what I wanted more of that. Yeah, and also the fact that his dad just immediately goes, well, obviously the boy made this happen with cherry bombs or something, mm. and it's like that dad was at no point was that dad ever going to be on side with with the son, and I get that that's again a pretty normal thing in these teen movies where it's like the parents just don't understand, but 
God, that guy was a real dick. Just, just, <laughs> just, and again, kind of disappeared partway through the film. We didn't mm. really have that same family dynamic as we had with like Nancy and her mum. But again, the the Walshes were not from the town. They had no idea. They didn't have any skin in the game as compared to uh, Nancy's family, who'd obviously grown up in in that town, and you know the parents had murdered Freddie. And well, what were some of the things Tegan liked about this? The bird scene was actually one of the main <laughs> Oh, really? Ones. Oh, sorry, Tegan. In, in all capitals, it was just talk about the bird scene. Oh, right. <laughs> we, we can jump back to the bird scene. I do just want to... It made me think of it, what you were saying just then, is that I think it makes so much more sense with all the parents knowing about what happened with Freddy mm. and everything in the first film. To me, it makes so much more sense the first film being called Freddy's Revenge. Yeah. Because he's literally coming back to get his revenge <laughs> yes. for people killing him. Whereas mm. in the second one, he's just here with someone that doesn't know him he mm. doesn't know them it's just he's d- d- causing mm. m- a menace he's being a menace what would you title this film then not that i'll have a think on that okay. and i'll get back to you <laughs> okay because yeah freddy's revenge is just the complete wrong title for this film you are you're absolutely correct freddy to electric boogaloo <laughs> yes that's what it i is. mean there were electric the the, the tennis rackets were electrified the, the fence, fence was electrified yeah. there was a lot of electric going around yeah there. you're not wrong um <laughs> But I'm sure there's a there's a better title than Freddy's Revenge. Mm. Um, Out of the closet? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it definitely fits. Yeah, yeah. It's it's God. It's a peculiar film. Just just thinking back on it, and it's like, I, I, yeah. I mean, we we do look faintly ridiculous. Probably <laughs> sitting here looking for narrative. Um, continuity and um, veracity in a in a in an early eighties horror film. In we, we we do run the risk of looking slightly ridiculous in that regard. Yeah, I mean, it, did it achieve it, it the just, objective of? I also know a lazy team. film. Yeah, a lazy film when I see it, and this this is lazy. This was mm. this was just basically let's get the product out because we have a release date. Mm. and we've got to have something out by then and I don't care how it's done just do it yeah I mean which it, was typical it of did, early 80s it did still have the elements that we want you know we saw some young beautiful people getting getting slashed getting butchered yeah uh, but also having a bit of a make out I love the idea of the pool party scene I, that actually looked like quite a fun yeah. pool party until the murders look on the whole and I say on the whole because I'll, I'll get to the point I want to make about the, the acting in a moment mm. on the whole I thought the performances were, were, were pretty good mm. pretty sound you're quite right not one of Clue Gallagher's better roles no um, just occasional, or not just occasionally repeatedly throughout this film characters seem completely cool with the weird stuff that's going on mm. there's no real reaction even when people start being butchered, it's the day after and everyone's quite chill with the whole thing. And, and like the murderer ran through a bushy fence or turned into fire and then mm. just like disappeared and everyone's like, oh, where'd he go? Oh, well, doesn't yeah. matter. Like, no, that that definitely matters. Mm. He's a murderer. Where <laughs> We need to find him. Yeah, He exactly. killed like five people at this pool party. Yeah. <laughs> we should probably stop that happening again. Dad yeah. should probably ask, why did you stop me shooting him? Um, why, why did she stop him from I, I because thought, she knew, she knows yeah. or she, uh, she knew that it was Jesse and did she? she that, Je- that, that Jesse I think so I thought we were going to have a reveal that 
the whole time it was Jesse running around murdering people, but we saw it the way he saw it as Freddy being in control. But there was going to be one shot and it was going to be him in his blood-covered shirt I, I with the glove. So too. And then it would turn back to Freddy and he'd do the fireball thing. Um, She's a smart girl. I think yeah. she worked it out. I th- yeah, that's, that's what I think it is. But I, I just thought that's where we were going with that setup. Um, but then you couldn't have Jesse return to his normal life. You can't have Jesse return to his normal life anyway uh, because of everything that, that's gone on. And But you're right. He would yeah. absolutely be... Because authorities would not believe that you had been taken over by a, a mm. crazy murderer. Um, so... Yeah, you would go to prison or yeah. some kind of institution where they would try and... Or a methadone clinic, as his, his dad <laughs> tried to get him to go to. But I, the, the interesting thing about this film is you, I don't think you get really close or involved with any of the characters in it. No. They're cipher characters, that's what they are. Mm. Um, which is completely different from the first film. Where even the bad guy, when the, or the, the not the bad guy, but you know the... The boyfriend who's a bit dodgy in the first one. Yeah. Whoa, cha cha cha, like that guy. Yeah, you, you felt, you know, a little bit upset that he went the way he did. Yeah. Um, and, you know, going forward to, to Dream Warriors, mm. you get invested in the in the story that each of the characters have. Because they have a story. They have a story. <laughs> They're not just random people standing around waiting to maybe get murdered. Just setting up the next whatever. Yeah. I, I do think it's interesting as well, though, talking about because uh, I was thinking this while watching the film, um, talking about trying to find the narrative or like the the structure and things moving forward, and the plot holes and things making sense. Because I'm I'm in two minds about it, because it is a lot of dreams and dreamscapes where things don't necessarily need to make sense. But then on the flip side, uh, I also think that you know it it's a film that some things should have structure and make sense. Yeah. But then again, it's, you know, it's all a dream. So whatever happens, happens, and then it's fine. But yeah, like it's a, it's a weird mix between those two thoughts. Yeah. See, Nightmare on Elm Street, the original, did that nice thing of um, playing with, you know, is it a dream or is it real? Mm-hmm. Right? And, and it, I think it did it in a fairly intelligent way. Um, even you, sometimes you got a little bit lost. Is this a dream or is it real? Uh, it didn't really matter because it was done in such an intelligent way. In this film, it's <laughs> just not handled that well. No. You know? It's like you know the Nick Cave song. We call upon the author to explain. Mm. Um, and I'd love to have a chat with the screenwriter or hear from the screenwriter in terms of what was the thinking with this film? Mm. Did, did you start off with an idea and then you went off on a tangent and you never got back? Mm. In terms of like, just just what's going on, buddy? Yeah. What's, a uh, bit. what's going on? <laughs> yeah. it's One thing I would like to jump on before we move on to talk trivia. Um, the opening bus sequence, I actually rather liked, though, uh, as an introduction to the film of, you know, we, we meet Jesse. He, he looks terrible in he that yeah ragged in that but, first but, but also that's like his own dream of himself that's his self-perception he's he's being mocked for not being able to open a window by attractive girls on the bus and all that you know typ- typical sort of um teenage insecurities High school nonsense um and then yeah that that sequence of the bus driving into the desert the ground falling away the bus being on top of the rock pillar um was really great really mm. really good fun um, and thinking about practical effects of that as well like yeah. i was saying during the film i i really want to know and i hope it was just like a, a toy 
or like small school bus that they had on actual rocks because the again the practical effects in mm. this are just are just <laughs> yeah. great. You'd be completely bowled away if they if they had a little behind the scenes feature going. No, no, we built an entire gimbal. <laughs> <laughs> that was a real bus that we made look like a model in this shot. Damn, good work, uh, guys. <laughs> yeah, no, it was great, and I also really like that the bus driver without all the stuff on. That's just Robert England, the mm. man who plays Freddy. Just oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just him because uh, you know that's. That's who he becomes anyway. Nice so, segue yeah. into the trivia then. But yeah, it's, it is. <laughs> uh, would you like some more trivia about Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge? Sure. Have we covered everything? Because I'd, I'd hate for Tegan to be disappointed. She uh, probably is. We <laughs> should be championing this film. I'm so sorry, Tegan. I tried. I, I went in this time with an open mind, but... <sighs> um, the only other thing that she noted that we haven't discussed is uh, Robert Englund being about um, five foot eight n- made him not terribly scary because he was not the tallest person at the <laughs> pool party when he was murdering people um so that was something that Wes Craven wasn't really a fan of um and the other thing that she threw out was that Craven hated it so much for not following Freddie Law that it yeah did help him uh decide to make Dream Warriors 3 which is considered a fan favorite after the original so yes we've covered all of Tegan's points I hope okay fantastic so, so in a way it was a good thing it happened then a good just thing, yeah. because it meant that we got three by him yes Okay. Uh, so, all of this trivia comes from IMDb, so if it's not true, don't blame me. Love your little disclaimer. <laughs> New Line Cinema originally didn't ask Robert Englund to return as Freddy Krueger and refused to give him a pay raise, because that's what he was after. Um, a stuntman was cast as Freddy at the start of production, but after two weeks of filming, Robert Shea, the director, realised this was a terrible lapse in judgement. He fired the stuntman, hired Englund, and met his demands. Wow. Mm. Didn't Robert Shea become... Like a part owner, or it was part owner of uh, New Line? I, I don't I think know, he actually. was. Okay. Yeah, possibly. I would like to know what that stuntman was doing that was so bad, or so not the character, that the director was just like, nah, we're, we're getting him back. There have to be movement. See, yeah. it, it's okay for something like Michael Myers, because basically you just got to walk slowly, don't yeah. you? <laughs> and occasionally cock your head when you've stabbed someone through the chest. Mm. And with... Jason from Friday the 13th, you've got to look physical. Mm. Um, but Freddy's different because Freddy is... He's an interactive character. He talks. Mm. He 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 acts like a human being. No, he's not... He, he's supernatural, but he acts like a human being. Well, that's why I'd, I'd just love to... I would love to see that footage mm. of him mm. and just see how... Com- compare it a little I mean, bit. It's a bit like... Uh, I forget the actor's name, but the actor that was originally cast as Aragon in the Lord of the Rings films. It wasn't Viggo Mortensen. Stuart Townsend. Thank you. Yes, Stuart Townsend. He shot for a couple of days and then they ended up binning him off because it just wasn't working. Um, And had to very rapidly ring around and go, oh, is Viggo free? Can he come in? And luckily he was. Um, But yeah, sometimes things just don't work. Same with um, Back to the Future. Um, Yes, Eric... um, Eric Roberts. No, not Eric Roberts. (laughs) Now that would be amazing. That would be amazing. (laughs) Yes, the other Eric. Um, um, Eric Stoltz. Yes. It's crazy to think yeah. sometimes that films like like this, and I guess Lord of the Rings and mm. everything as well, that like, it was nearly going to be a very, very different film. Yeah. And I feel like, again, if they needed to change the stuntman back, um, back to Ang- England so much, like, again, I feel like it would have been a very, very different film. It's it's crazy to think that it was so close to not being. I mean, 
what it is, which mm. I still, again... But yeah, <laughs> I, I think think once you've actually established a, a major horror character, particularly one if it's one that is, is not wearing a mask, could be wearing makeup, but not a mask, the audience aren't going to buy if the character isn't got some sort of... Um, similarity from mm. from performance to performance right yeah. and, mm. and and that's why old what's his face Doug Bradley you know played pinhead for god knows how many years in mm. god knows how many god awful sequels <laughs> um but you know it was always comforting that Doug Bradley was pinhead yeah um yeah which is you know you see for instance when they did the nightmare um Reimagining, remake, whatever you want to call it, the twenty was it 2010, 2011, whatever, and they cast another actor in the role of Freddie. Didn't work, mm. right? Great actor, superb actor, but didn't work. Yeah. Um, in an interview featured in the documentary In Search of Darkness Part 2 from 2020, Robert Englund stated that he was fully aware of the homoerotic elements in the film and was enthusiastic about playing up uh, these undertones in the on-screen interactions between Freddy and Jesse. So, mm. apparently he was... Which he was, might explain uh, the little stroke. I was going to say, I can see that. <laughs> Uh, Mark Patton stated in uh, a 2010 documentary Never Sleep Again, The Elm Street Legacy that he had to say no to some pieces of business such as Freddy putting his blades in Jesse's mouth because they made him feel uncomfortable. Fair enough. Yeah, I wouldn't like knives in the throat just in general. So, Or was it because of that or was it just because that's like, yeah, that's just over the top. He just said he was... He, 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 he said no. That's all mm. we know. So... Um, Speaking of Back to the Future as well, uh, Michael J. Fox was considered for the role of Jesse Walsh, but was oh. unable due to commitments to, uh, I dare say, slightly bigger films, Back to the Future and Teen Wolf. So, oh, yeah, you Teen Wolf. Yeah, I think he made the right two choices out of the three there. <laughs> I, I think so. Well, I, I, he probably made the right decision with Teen Wolf. I think he was contractually also um, still tied up with Family Ties. He was, yeah, because well. they were running in between the two sets for yeah. filming a Back to the Future. But yeah, uh, yeah, could have been very different. Michael J. Fox running around with uh, Freddy busting out of him could have been a lot of fun. The film was extremely well received in Europe uh, as residents of those countries caught and loved uh, some of the sexual overtones. The overseas popularity of this film is what convinced producers to make sequels beyond the second film. Aha. Uh-huh. Mm. So there you go. So see, even if... Even if it's not loved, it's pretty important. Can't have a third film without a second film, as they always say. Absolutely. Mm. The dance scene was meant as a homage to Risky Business. So well done on pointing out the Tom Cruise similarities. That was deliberate. Um, Sensing impending embarrassment, Mark Patton was reluctant to film it, which resulted in it being repeatedly postponed in the filming schedule. Uh, It was initially stated in Never Sleep Again, the Elm Street Legacy documentary that Patton choreographed the scene himself and told the filmmakers to just roll with the camera while he gave it his best shot. But Patton later changed his story. In an interview with Without Your Head, he states, quote, There's nothing Jesse does in the film that's not scripted. If you look in the screenplay, it reads, Jesse bumps his ass against the door three times, then gets on the bed and pretends to masturbate. None of that was mine, end quote. While the scene has haunted uh, some of the involved parties for years, Patton says it enjoys extended popularity at gay clubs, particularly at the time of the film's release. So, I forgot to mention during our original mm. uh, chat that 
that was such a fun scene to watch. Yeah. Um, that little, like, classic 80s montage of him cleaning his room. And, again, when he's had Not very little... well, either. No, <laughs> no, terribly. Um, but, yeah, the little little butt tap against the drawer as well. Yeah. Just one of those moments like, what? Where's that coming from, buddy? But mm. it was just it was just in, an enjoyable little um, in amongst knowing that... It was a, it was a little John die. Hughes moment, wasn't mm. it? Yeah. And just like a nice little light-hearted bit before mm. people die. Start getting butchered. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, Robert Rustler auditioned for the role of Ron Grady. Or Grady. You know, the guy... Oh, that was another scene I wanted to talk about. <laughs> Realistic characters like that are just... Mm. Fantastic. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you can understand what you're saying, that's what high schoolers are like. Yeah, he's eating with a mouthful of food. It's sorry, talking with a mouthful of food. Obviously eating with a mouthful <laughs> of food as well. Um but yes, Ron Grady, uh the character was played by Robert Rustler. He auditioned for it on the last day of shooting the movie Weird Science. Um Robert Danny Jr. drove him to the audition. Oh ah. so there you go. Just Robert Rustler actually mm. speaks quite positively about this film. Mm. Uh, he probably should be sitting where I am right now defending this film. Mm. Um, and you know, he, he has no reason to because he's got a good body of work behind him. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's been incredibly supportive of the film over the years and also of Mark Patton. According to a Fangoria magazine in 1989, it was revealed that the screenwriter, Leslie Boehm, wrote an early script for this called A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Baby. So, potentially an alternate title. Ooh, he said, quote, My concept was an homage to Rosemary's Baby from 1968. I came up with the plot that had a new family move into the house, a teenage boy, his pregnant mum, and a stepfather the boy didn't get along with. It was a real bloody, scary idea, much more physical and realistic because the dream reality stuff was less central to, the, to these movies then. My story was more of a possession scenario, with Freddy getting inside the mother's womb and controlling the fetus. But... New Line passed on it because their executive, Sarah Risher, was pregnant at the time, and I understand that the idea upset her. So they went with David Chaskin's concept instead, end quote. Bowen would later write A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Dream Child from 1989, which also dealt with the idea of Freddy going after an unborn baby. That sounds quite terrifying, Freddy mm. controlling a child from inside the womb. Yes. That's... Yeah, that's that's not okay. Mm. <laughs> it's a little it's a little messed up. Yeah, yeah it certainly is. Uh, but interesting that it started out as a Rosemary's Baby homage. Yeah. Um, Damn. Yeah. Yeah, I've just watched that film. That's mm. yeah, interesting. Yeah, Rosemary's Baby. You can go back and listen to our review of it from about a year <laughs> ago. Uh, I'll da- I dare say Rosemary's Baby slightly better than uh, Freddy's Revenge. Uh, just just a tad. <laughs> the final piece of trivia is that the school that was used in this film was also the same school that was used in another 80s classic, The Karate Kid. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah, that is the same school as 1984's The Karate Kid. Well, now I do want to watch this film again to try and find <laughs> the similarities there. I just really want um, yeah, Danielson to come in and save the coach by <laughs> crane-kicking Freddy in the shower. I would definitely want that crossover to happen. Yeah, could have been could have been good fun. What just, we could have had. I've just been looking up here... Mm the release date so this was originally so elm street the original elm street Mm -hmm. appears to have been released in november 84 Mm -hmm. this film number two just bringing it up here folks 
uh, was released in. Uh, I have eighty five on my my lists. Yeah, no, it did get a it did Elm Street got a release in eighty four, so it's mm. an eighty four film, but it was it was late eighty four, right. so nineteen eighty four, mm-hmm. um, and this film opened less than a year. Wow! After the original Elm Street, That's, so that is a quick. Turnaround. So as I say, mm. yeah, as I say, there was huge time pressures to mm. get this film out. Yeah, um, that but, is a very quick turnaround. Yeah, and I'm pretty darn sure they didn't green light the sequel until Elm Street had opened and had success. Yeah, because because that first Elm Street was a massive success. So yeah, and it was yeah. an unexpected success. Yeah. So okay, maybe that explains some of the slight rushed elements. Some of the some of the. Yeah. Maybe if this film had had an additional year in production, as most films would, uh, mm. maybe we would have a slightly more ironed out cohesive film. Yeah, cohesive yeah. film. And this I, was this, as yeah. I say, this is very endemic of of um, genre films in the yeah. in the eighties. If they had a hit the first time around, mm. the they, the sequel got pushed out real quick and for less money. Yeah, I still think there's a lot of interesting stuff in here, but it does have a bit of a rushed feel to elements of it. So, oh, don't yeah. get me wrong. I'll turn. I'll, I'll return to this film again yeah. one day. Unlike Dawson, who has who said ne- he's seen, never yeah. watching whoa, it. Whoa, again. whoa, whoa! We didn't say never. <laughs> Only in the instance of a of a marathon or mm. wanting to see the karate. Oh, sorry, kids. yes, or Karate Kid. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to watch those as a duo: Karate Kid and <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street <laughs> Two, and then Showgirls, and then Showgirls immediately after. That's, yes. that's, mm. that's the trio of films. That's my new marathon: Wonderful. Karate Kid, Nightmare on Elm Street Two, Showgirls. Wonderful! Uh, who, what a mix. Who could ask for more? Uh, it's time for us to score the film, uh, Dawson. This was your first time watching a Nightmare on Elm Street Two: Freddy's Revenge. What score would you give it out of ten? This is a tough one. Because last, last, the first one was easy, I mm. thought, because that was just a generally a very good film. Mm. This one, again, it was like... It Spanked was, coaches, exploding budgies. Oh, you're right. Spanked coaches, <laughs> 10 out of 10. <laughs> he, the, just that scene of him getting pulled up by the skipping ropes mm. and then just so that you're, you're loving of, it already. Which, it's already gone up a point in your mind. Mm. Um, I, I think I'd give it a... Uh, I reckon a 6.8 towel spanking. 6.8. Not quite a 7. I can't do a 7. Yep. And, you know, I just don't like keeping it even with 6.5. So 6.8 towel spankings. Okay. Okay, that's fair. Uh, What about yourself then, Murray? Oh, shucks. Um, Yeah, I I kind of... I feel like I've trashed this film, which isn't fair. I'm disappointed in it. Um, disappointed in how it ended. I, I like there to be some logic, some narrative logic to my films, mm. which is weird because I watch a lot of Jess Franco films and people, if you understand that reference, yeah, try watching a Jess Franco film and there being any linear substance to it whatsoever. Not going to happen. Mm. Um, but for something of this, you know, this is a, a reasonably major release. That's a disappointing thing. So I'm going to give it... A straight... Oh, no. Sorry, that's the wrong word to use. I feel like um, I would take mine down to a six. An even. I'm going to bring it into an even six failed sexual gropings in the pool room out of ten. Okay, six failed gropings. Dawson, you're considering changing? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm glad I said it just before you so it didn't seem like I was copying. Yeah. I, I was thinking about it and I was like, you know what? I do feel like that's too close to a seven for me. I feel like... Mm. Yeah, I, I do feel like a six is more appropriate. So just a, just a flat six. 
Which is, you know, hey, pass mark. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because that's the thing. Like, I, I, we, we do <laughs> trash talk it a lot, but I still did enjoy it. Mm. I feel like for anything to be below a five is for me to sit back and just be like, I, I think I've got the new title that. for it. Yeah. yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Not enough Freddy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Freddy's absence. Uh, that could be another title as well. Yeah, Freddy's absence. Yeah. Well, I thought it would be quite fun um, if they they titled it after the fact that um, they find out that it was definitely him, because then you could call it Nightmare on Elm Street Two. Freddy got fingered. Yeah, I was just going to say. Great minds. Indeed. Great minds. Uh, for me, yeah. Look, this is not as strong as the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I think that's an entirely fair thing to say. I still quite liked it. The thing is, is I, I don't. I'm, I'm not normally a big fan of the the horror slasher films. I thought Halloween was fine. Uh, you know, it's, oh, <laughs> it's no, like it's a well made film of of its time. I'm sorry, kids. That's all we have time for. <laughs> Stephen has to leave. I is, just, that, is that one that I should watch as well? You, yes, oh, it's, <laughs> Halloween is is worth watching. But the thing is, is, it's it's from a genre that I'm not normally a big fan of. I've actually quite enjoyed both Freddy films much more than I thought I would. Um, I think there's a certain fun to them that's still in this film, despite the fact that it is much reduced from the first film. Um, I think we have to complete it as a review of the beast. So uh, we're going to have a six, a six, and a six Ooh-hoo. exploding Ooh. budgie regards out of ten. Um, it's it, it's not as good. It's still fine. There's still elements that are enjoyable. And apparently we're going to be on a bit of an upward swing next time because uh, Dawson, we're off to be dream warriors. I'm I'm excited Excellent. And Some great practical effects in it. Oh, yes, you know, I'm a fan of that. And uh, Murray, thank you so much for joining me on this episode and visiting Elm Street 2. Oh, thank you for inviting me to review what I consider to be the weakest, oh, one of the weakest in the in the, in the the series. Oh, you're so welcome. Um, and yes, uh, Dawson, thank you very much. And we will see you next time. Next time. Okay, for those of you listening at home, uh, Thank you very much for joining us this week. We have one more Nightmare on Elm Street film to go. There are more. We're just stopping at three. Um, So if you want to find out what we think of Dream Warriors... Don't fall asleep. Yes, don't fall asleep. Uh, And don't fall asleep on subscriptions. Yeah, you can subscribe (laughs) anytime you want uh, through iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, however you get your programs and your podcasts. uh, Just subscribe there and you'll get a new episode whenever we release one. Uh, We also have a very dreamy Patreon. Uh, You can join up for as little as a dollar a month and get bonus goodies and features through there. And finally, news and updates through our Facebook page. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club there. Give it a like, give it a follow and get the news as it breaks over here. But that is all for this week. So until next time, goodbye. <laughs> Farewell. Fuckers. Oh, sorry. <laughs> You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.